From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Osteoporosis is a disease in which decreased bone strength and bone mass significantly increase your risk of fractures. Today, we're exploring how to treat this condition with Dr. Ruben Dollywall. She's the director of the Metabolic Bone Disease Center, an associate professor of medicine, and an endocrinologist who researches metabolic bone diseases, including osteoporosis. Welcome to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Dollywall. Thank you for having me on, Amber. If I understand correctly, both men and women can develop osteoporosis, but older postmenopausal women are at greatest risk. Why is that? So osteoporosis is a disorder of the bone. And as you mentioned, bones become weaker and brittle due to bone loss. This increases the risk for fractures. Fracture is a serious complication of osteoporosis, especially in older patients. And it is also more so important because uh, sometimes fracture is the only indication for sign of osteoporosis. Uh, both men and women can develop osteoporosis. Osteoporosis affects more women than men, primarily because women have uh, usually smaller, thinner, and less dense bones than men. Women also live longer than men. Bone loss occurs naturally with aging. So that's another reason. Also, women lose more bone mass after menopause. Um, estrogen is a hormone that protects bones and uh, women reach menopause and estrogen levels decline. And that's when the risk of osteoporosis increases in women with menopause. Is the disease different in women than in men or do you have different treatments for women versus men? So the Current treatment uh, indications, uh, there are two groups of medications and both groups of medications are recommended for use in men and women. But the common osteoporosis, commonly which we refer to osteoporosis is postmenopausal osteoporosis. And that's the osteoporosis which occurs after menopause due to estrogen loss. I see. Now, I know a variety of medications may be prescribed, and I'd like to ask you about each of them. So let's begin with hormone therapy. Is that something that's used for women and men? So hormones are important uh, for our body functions. Um, estrogen is a sex hormone that is essential to female health and particularly female bone health. Estrogen um, acts in many different ways, but the main mechanism through which it affects bones is it li limits bone loss. It helps maintain bone density and bone mass. Um, so in women, when they go through menopause, um, menopausal hormone therapy is often recommended to treat menopausal symptoms. Um, and uh, menopausal hormone therapy is also uh, indicated for prevention of bone loss. So the only FDA indication for estrogen use in postmenopausal women is prevention of postmenopausal osteoporosis. Similar to estrogen in women, uh, testosterone is a sex hormone that is essential for uh, male uh, health and for uh, male bone health. So if uh, testosterone levels decline in men, they can also develop osteoporosis. And in that case, um, uh, testosterone use is recommended for uh, treatment of osteoporosis and prevention of bone loss. 
Are there side effects to be aware of for um, men or women who, uh, you know, use hormone therapy for this? So estrogen replacement therapy is um, appropriate for postmenopausal women, but it should not be used if uh, women have history of um, breast or uterine cancer, high risk for breast or uterine cancer, and there's a conversation, a dialogue to be had uh, with their physicians. Um, if there is poor liver or uh, function or liver disease, um, that's a contraindication for estrogen replacement therapy. If patients have recent history of blood clots, both estrogen and testosterone, uh, should not be used. Um, there has been uh, really a concern about increased um, cardiovascular uh, side effects and uh, breast cancer, particularly when we talk about hormone replacement therapy. So current recommendation for use of, um, say, menopausal hormone therapy is for the relief of menopausal symptoms and in the lowest dose necessary and for the shortest time possible for exactly those reasons. How do the bisphosphonates work? Those would be like Boniva, Fosamax, and there's a bunch of others, right? Correct. So bisphosphonates uh, belong to a class of medications called anti-resorptives. What that word uh, translates into basically preventing bone loss or slowing the rate of bone loss. And there are a number of medications under that group, uh, bisphosphonates being the primary um, uh, group of medications under that category. Bisphosphonates exactly work by slowing down the rate of bone loss. They may also help increase bone mineral density by slowing the bone, uh, the rate of bone loss. Uh, bisphosphonates uh, come in oral formulation as well as injectable formulations. Uh, bisphosphonates um, are the oldest drug that has been available for treatment of osteoporosis. And they lead to about uh, approximately 50% to 70% reduction in spine fractures um, and nearly 50% reduction in hip fractures. So they're considered pretty effective, it sounds like. They are very effective in treatment of uh, osteoporosis and prevention of fractures. Uh, are there side effects to be aware of? Yes, so uh, with oral medications, uh, with oral bisphosphonates, patients can get um, irritation of uh, stomach lining and um, esophagus lining, and there may be difficulties absorbing the medication, um, dyspepsia-like symptoms, heartburn. Um, those are more common seen by oral, um, when patients are taking oral medications. With injectable bisphosphonates, patients can get mild flu-like symptoms. These are more common, but these, as I mentioned, these are mild, happening within the first 24 hours, 48 hours after the injection. And uh, subsequently, uh, we worry about some of the rare side effects, but these are rare side effects. Uh, I bring this up as a very important point because uh, patients often um, refrain from considering treatment of osteoporosis due to concerns of these serious adverse effects, side effects of these medications. But I want to emphasize that these side effects such as osteonecrosis of the jaw and atypical femur fractures, these are extremely rare side effects of these medications and are primarily related to um, a dose, a high dose use of these medications, uh, which we do in some cases and um, also related to the longer duration 
of medication use. You're learning about osteoporosis treatment on Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, here with Dr. Ruben Dollywall. She's an endocrinologist who's the director of the Metabolic Bone Disease Center at Upstate. We've talked about hormone therapy and bisphosphonates, and now I'd like to ask you about monoclonal antibody medications. How do these work? Yes, so uh, denosumab was a monoclonal antibody, uh, which was approved by the FDA in 2010 for treatment of osteoporosis in postmenopausal women who are at high risk for fractures. Um, it is a biologic, a monoclonal antibody. It works by blocking a certain protein in your body. So by blocking that protein, the bones don't break down as quickly and easily. And this is another medication which falls under the category of uh, anti-resorptives. So we talked about bisphosphonates as the first medication and denosumab also falls under that category of anti-resorptives. It is another injectable medication which can help reduce bone loss and improve bone strength. Now, what about bone building medications? When are those recommended? Uh, bone building medications is now the second category of medications to treat um, postmenopausal osteoporosis. Uh, these medications are recommended for uh, treatment of postmenopausal osteoporosis in women who are at high risk for fracture, have failed other therapies, or have not tolerated previous osteoporosis therapies. Um, bone building medications are also approved for treatment of glucocorticoid-induced uh, osteoporosis and treatment of osteoporosis in men. Are there concerns about side effects for bone building? Uh, bone building medications can um, initially uh, give slightly high blood calcium levels, and those are usually transient um, and requires uh, blood calcium monitoring, especially in the first few weeks of starting the medication. So that's the more common uh, side effect, and it is transient. Um, other side effects um, basically are uh, there's a rare bone cancer uh, related to the use of the medication, but uh, this has not been uh, noted in humans thus far, but it has been seen in um, uh, rodents when these medications were being developed. And because it is a rare bone cancer, that uh, side effect of bone cancer is listed on the medication. I see. Now, do you have patients who are taking more than one of these types of medications at the same time? I do not have patients who are taking more than one of these medications at once. And uh, the primary reason behind that is there is no FDA approved indication for combination treatment of osteoporosis at this point. Um, and that is such because there are no research studies showing that combination treatment with two or more osteoporosis medications has a greater effect on fracture reduction than treatment with a single uh, medication. So until uh, we have more information on the effect of combination therapy on fracture risk, um, there is no recommendation of concomitant use of these agents for prevention or for treatment of osteoporosis. So how do you as the physician help the patient determine which medicine is gonna be the best one for them? I think this is a, an excellent point and that I, um, you know, keep reminding myself over and over again that patient dialogue is key. Um, 
particularly when it comes to risk communication. Uh, it is very important to inform the patients about potential risks and benefits of treating osteoporosis and not treating osteoporosis. So before even I get into discussion with uh, the patients about uh, potential benefits and risk of individual medications, I want my patients to fully appreciate the risk of fractures and their consequences uh, if no treatment is given for osteoporosis. So it is really incumbent on me as their physician to provide this information to each patient. And then I move on to discussing the uh, individual medications by informing them um, on the potential risks and benefits. Uh, basically, goal is here to educate the patient so that they are involved in the shared decision-making process all along. And if, if, they, if you try one of the types of medicines and it's not helping or the side effects are bad, can, are you able to switch to another type? Absolutely. So if there are no contraindications, patients should be able to switch to other treatment options. And um, that's a place where we should be very vigilant about, especially if a medication is new to the patient. Well, I'm curious, what are fractures like for someone who has osteoporosis? So a fractures is, um, as I mentioned earlier, fracture is sometimes the first indication that the patient has osteoporosis. And fractures are a serious complication, especially when it comes to older patients. Fractures can be very debilitating. Fractures can lead to pain, uh, disability, and deformity. They can substantially reduce the quality of life. Uh, more than 50% uh, of uh, survivors of hip fractures are unable to return to independent living. Uh, many also require nursing home care. So it is really crucial to avoid a fracture from an individual patient's health perspective, but also as a major public health concern. Is the healing time longer if someone has osteoporosis and they break ribs or hips or arms? Yes, so if a patient has osteoporosis, there can be complications with, uh, you know, repair of these fractures. Healing can be poor, it can be delayed. And uh, those are the things which we are proactively trying to avoid by screening patients uh, for osteoporosis and treating them early on. Upstate's HealthLink on Air will be back with more about the treatment of osteoporosis after this short break. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Ruben Dhaliwal, who directs the Metabolic Bone Disease Center at Upstate. We've talked about a variety of medications. What are the roles of calcium and vitamin D in treating osteoporosis? Calcium is found in our bones and teeth. Um, it uh, is a nutrient that is essential in building a block of bone and helps maintain bone strength and bone mass, maintain bone mass throughout our lifetime. Um, calcium and vitamin D both work together to protect our bones. Calcium helps build and maintain bones and vitamin D is uh, essential in our body to effectively absorb calcium. Um, if we don't get enough calcium uh, from uh, food, um, it can make our bones weaker over time and can lead to osteoporosis. So are calcium and vitamin D useful for preventing osteoporosis in the first place? Yes. Uh, so calcium and vitamin D can help uh, 
protect and maintain bones. Uh, these are simple ways of protecting and promoting bone health, adequate intake of calcium and vitamin D throughout our lifetime. In terms of, you mentioned, you know, calcium is in, in the diet, vitamin D is in the diet, certain foods. Is it better to eat those in, in foods or can we get the nutrients through um, supplements and vitamins? I do encourage my patients that whenever possible that they get calcium from food. But if a patient has inadequate uh, calcium intake uh, from food, they can certainly consider uh, and discuss calcium supplements with their physicians. Um, it's healthy nutrition in general throughout childhood and throughout life is important in terms of building bones and maintaining bone health. Um, so this bone healthy diet is a diet basically that is rich in calcium and vitamin D. So uh, we talk about often with patients foods rich in calcium. These include uh, dairy products, so milk, yogurt, cheese. Uh, we also talk about dark and leafy uh, green, uh, green vegetables. These are broccoli, kale, collard greens. Um, canned fish, uh, sardines, almonds, these are all good um, uh, calcium-rich foods for uh, good for bone health. Um, good sources of vitamin D include fatty fish, uh, such as salmon, sardines, and tuna. Uh, eggs and uh, fortified foods, such as milk and cereals, also contain some amount of vitamin D. And again, if a patient is not getting enough calcium or vitamin D from food, then definitely there is a place uh, to discuss uh, use of supplements. Now, how do you feel about soy? So soy are, have uh, a chemical called isoflavone, and these are estrogen-like chemicals. Uh, so these are equivalent to human estrogen, this is a plant estrogen when we talk about soy. It's found in soy foods, um, which are lentils, kidney beans, uh, lima beans, fava beans, chickpeas. While this chemical itself is similar in structure to estrogen, uh, studies have not found consistent results in terms of its effect on um, the bone health. So there is no evidence at this point that the soy isoflavones decrease the risk of osteoporosis related fractures. Is it safe to drink alcohol if you have osteoporosis? Excessive alcohol intake has a negative effect on health in general. It also has a negative effect on bone formation. Um, but there are other reasons also why excessive intake of alcohol can increase the fracture risk because it can increase uh, the risk of falls. It can also lead to calcium deficiency and chronic liver disease. Uh, chronic liver disease in turn can lead to also vitamin D deficiency. I've heard that weight bearing exercise is recommended to keep your bones healthy. Um, can you describe what that is and, and how it works? So regular physical activity is key to bone health uh, during childhood and throughout adult life. I remind patients that when I'm prescribing them medications, these medications are going to work through uh, to their full potential um, only when we do these other 
um, measures to prevent and promote bone health all along. And we talked about calcium and vitamin D and regular physical activities and other such uh, measure to uh, bone health. So weight-bearing exercises such as walking, jogging, dancing, aerobics, they can help build bones and slow bone loss. Um, I also want to make an important point. This does not necessarily mean going to the gym or lifting heavy weights. And I bring this up especially for older women uh, where we um, talk about primarily postmenopausal osteoporosis. Weight bearing could mean simply as lifting light weights few times a week. Um, so clearly regular physical activity and weight bearing exercises do help slow bone loss. Um, and they also improve balance and also help reduce the risk of falls. So you don't need to go to the gym or become a weightlifter. Are the, what, what do you recommend, like uh, push-ups, are those, are those good for like weight bearing if you just want to do some things around the house? So just light weights can be a few times a week, few, uh, you know, 15, 20 minutes, a few times a week, just having light weight uh, bearing exercises, dumbbells could help um, reduce bone loss. Walking has impact. These are impact. Uh, these are weight bearing uh, exercises that will cause an impact and walking about 30 to 40 minutes per session um, for a few minutes uh, back and posture exercises three to four times a week. These are all exercises that can help prevent bone loss. This is Upstate's Health Link on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Ruben Dollywall, the director of the Metabolic Bone Disease Center at Upstate. What tips do you have for keeping your bones healthy to, to prevent osteoporosis? And I guess I'm talking about children or teenagers because um, it starts then, right? When your body's building the bone. What do people, what would ideally they do to set themselves up for a, you know, a healthy life, healthy bones. Yes, yeah, so, uh, you know, healthy nutrition is very important uh, during childhood and throughout adult life um, to build bones as well as maintaining bone health, especially for children as they are accruing bone mass. It is very important that they have calcium and vitamin D rich diet um, and in general, um, stay very active. Um, this is key. Uh, by the time we reach age 20, we have accrued 90% of bone mass. So we really want to take advantage of that childhood years to build a good bone mass, a higher, we call it peak bone mass, uh, so that we could start out our adult years as with a good bone mass and then work on to maintaining that bone mass through healthy diet, uh, through regular physical activity and weight-bearing exercise, uh, limiting alcohol intake, avoiding smoking, uh, avoiding falls. These are all universal measures that can be applied uh, throughout life stages. Now, when I was little, we had milk served to us for every meal. We had milk with breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And if we didn't have milk, it was water. It, the kids today um, have other beverages, but they have so many different milk options, quote unquote milk options. We were drinking cow's milk, but today there's almond milk. There's, there's all kinds of varieties. Um, when you talk about dairy, 
is it cow's milk that you're looking for high calcium vitamin D fortified? Is that just in the cow's milk? So uh, I'm not necessarily saying that the the milk has to be fortified. You know, the cow's milk has is naturally high in calcium content. So any of those uh, options that you just listed are perfectly fine. I have to uh, differ it to the patients because they may have certain preference. Uh, patients also have um, lactose intolerance. So that becomes an important component. Uh, not all my patients are going to tolerate dairy intake and my recommendations have to be tailored to each and every patient. Now, even if someone does all of this, uh, all controls everything they can about what they eat and, and you know, eats healthy and has calcium and vitamin D throughout their life, is there a genetic component to this where we don't have control over everything and some of us may be more prone to osteoporosis? Yes. So for postmenopausal osteoporosis, your risk uh, is increased for uh, to developing osteoporosis primarily because uh, if you have family history of osteoporosis, if you have a parental a parent with a history of hip fracture, um, so those uh, are all risk factors that come with genetic predisposition to developing osteoporosis. Well, let's talk about um, advice that you have about preventing fractures or falls, because even in your patients who are, you know, taking medications and they're, they're working well for them, I'm guessing it's still important to prevent a fall to begin with. So as we get older, um, what are some things we might not think about that that we can do to prevent stumbles? Yes. So in addition to these, you know, healthy nutrition, regular physical activity, good and good lifestyle habits of uh, not smoking and re avoiding excessive intake of alcohol, all of this we talked about, but I often tell my patients, bones good or bad, it's the fall that does it. And I bring that up because that is oftentimes the case. Um, while patients may not have a high severity of osteoporosis, a greater degree of osteoporosis, but when they fall, that even um, that that fall can lead to a fracture. So it is very important, especially in older patients, as we get older, our balance uh, may not be the same and may decline with aging. And for those reasons, it is very important uh, to maintain good balance uh, to avoid falls. Uh, there are other measures, um, you know, household adaptations that we can uh, look into avoiding uh, to avoid falls. Uh, includes anchoring rugs, uh, minimizing uh, clutter around the house, uh, removing any loose wires, using uh, non-skid mats, uh, installing handrails in bathrooms and long uh, stairways, making sure that the hallways or the entrances and the stairwells are well lit. Uh, patients should wear uh, sturdy shoes. Um, and another way to avoid falls is also keep up with the balance, as I mentioned, and physical activity itself helps with that also. Thank you to Dr. Ruben Dollywall, the director of the Metabolic Bone Disease Center. This has really been a helpful overview of treatments for osteoporosis. I'm your host, Amber Smith, for Upstate's podcast and radio talk show, HealthLink on Air.